You're listening to the Wool Academy podcast. This is episode number 95. Hello and welcome. My name is Elizabeth Van Delden and once a week we talk to an industry expert from the wool industry supply chain from farm to fashion and beyond, delivering strategies and insights to be successful in wool and showcasing those beautiful stories wool has to tell. I'm very happy to welcome Yolanda Liesk and Martin Brambley on the show today. Yolanda and Martin are the founders of Doppelhaus with their product Cloudwool. And they will be explaining exactly to us what Cloudwool is all about on the show today. Welcome Yolanda and Martin. It's so good to have you on the show today. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting us to be on the show. Yeah. Hello. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, we have a lot of questions to go through, so I would like to start with both of you introducing yourself. So may I ask you, Yolanda, to uh, start and tell us all about yourself, please. Sure. Um, so my name is Yolanda Liesk. Um, I'm a British textile designer and um, Martin and I have been childhood friends since school. And we both sort of realized we wanted to, to work together from a young age. And um, I've been um, studying in Germany in the last five or six years at an art school called Weissensee and got interested in uh, non-woven fabrics and sustainable fabrics. Um, exactly. So um, and now we're, now we're developing this business idea. So hi, I'm Martin Brambley. Um, I studied uh, the London College of Fashion uh, in design, fashion design. And... I've always been intrigued by fashion and uh, I love making things. And so, you know, it seemed like a natural progression to kind of think more about making textiles. And um, yeah, I live currently in London. And um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know to say that. <laughs> yeah, and of course. Yeah, that, thank you for the introduction. We actually have uh, things in common because I also used to study and live in Berlin. Although oh, I'm really? the University of Arts in Berlin. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then I also studied at the London College of Fashion. I studied strategic marketing. Oh, so great. <laughs> I, I can feel for both of you living in Berlin and in London. Both great cities. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, well, I would love to hear a, more about, a little bit more about your business Doppelhaus and also your product Cloudwool. I'm not sure who would like to go first. Um. I can I can talk about that then. So Doppelhaus is, um, I always describe Doppelhaus um, as Yolanda and I, because it's so, it's because Yolanda and I just naturally have such a good working relationship and we're also, most importantly, very, very good friends. Um, Doppelhaus really came about because um, Yolanda was moving to, Berlin to study textiles at Weissensee College and I was moving to London to study fashion. However, um, before that we actually knew each other from school and actually we've known each other since we were in primary school. So it was really important for us to retain a connection and uh, even uh, at this time when we were uh, going to university Uh, we even knew we wanted to start a business and we actually started our company Doppelhaus in 2013, which was long before we had the idea um, to create a non-woven business specializing in wool textiles. <laughs> um, and so um, 
that's the kind of very sentimental um, kind of reason behind starting Doppelhaus. Um, but maybe Yolanda could kind of elaborate a bit more. And maybe yeah, also sure. the meaning of the word. I yeah, mean, sure. I understand that with a German background. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we, we thought it was quite funny because we both grew up in semi-detached houses. And that's quite a sort of an Eng English building style, even though it's a German word for an English building style. Because um, there aren't that many Doppel, Doppelhäuser in Germany, actually. There's um, only a few. And um, we thought that it's a bit like fashion house with two sides. There's um, sort of complementary joined together, but um, but separate sort of independent units. Um, and yeah, and really now now at the moment, our view, vision for Doppelhaus is that um, Doppelhaus will be essentially a sort of design consultancy developing non-wovens because non-wovens is an area of textiles that really hasn't had much attention from designers in the past, mainly more from engineers and a technical perspective. And we think there's a lot of potential there to do exciting, more aesthetically pleasing things with non-woven techniques. Um, and Cloudwall is really our sort of pilot um, product. And our first, um, the first product we've developed using non-woven technology. Um, and the aim was to create a cheaper, um, wool fabric using non-woven techniques that is still relatively flexible and um, 100% sort of natural, um, just made of pure wool, um, with the idea of making a, an affordable, sustainable fabric for fashion. And how did you come up with the idea? Was it through your studies? Um, tell us a little bit more. So, um, yeah, I think, so the creation of the product and the idea really came from both of us because we've always been interested in textiles and for both of our final projects at our respective universities we developed kind of the idea of using non-wovens and creating composites um for my, from my end it was a, a way to create cheap fabrics for my final collection um and kind of do something a bit interesting so i was working with uh domestic machinery like heat presses I was carding my own wool and in the end I kind of came up with some quite interesting materials um, and I was kind of nurtured through a pro uh, um, uh, an award called the caring award for sustainable fashion which is now in its fourth year I believe and it was um, set up by Francois-Henri Pinot with the kind of idea of partnering caring in the London College of Fashion and finding students with innovative ideas that could create a more sustainable fashion industry. So I was paired in my final year with um, the sustainability department at Alexander McQueen, and I was mentored by um, the head of material futures um, course at the London College of Fashion, Amanda Johnston. And that kind of helped me develop some of my ideas. Um, but then, yeah, and y Yolandis uh, as well was working on uh, in her final project. So I think with Martin's project, we realized there's a lot of potential there to do things with non-woven processes and that's when we started really engaging with non-woven processes because actually even though I studied textile design non-woven processes are really something they don't bother to teach us they really only teach us um, weaving knitting printing and so on <laughs> and um, so we visited for instance a, a research institute in Leeds and also there's one in Chemnitz that we work with a lot and um, then I realized that there's a good possibility to do my center my final project around non-woven processes and kind of experiment to see whether we could produce a more flexible non-woven and cloud has really become the result of that 
And why did you choose wool as the fab, like as the fiber? Well, I think um, we were looking into initially. We were looking into sort of post-production waste from the fashion industry, but we realized that um, a it's not very transparent, um, and it's not possible to get a sort of um, a continuous supply of the same materials. And there we were thinking, oh, well, we would take waste from luxury materials, i.e., silk or wool. Um, and use that because the waste would be cheaper than the original fibers. But then we discovered on further research that um, that recycled wool does not cost necessarily less than new wool, um, the new British wool, that is, um, because Australian wool is at the highest price it ever is, but uh, British wool at the moment is at the lowest price it's ever been. And we realized that um, maybe instead of the way the fashion industry not normally works, um, where they have cut the cut the natural fibers to save costs and outsource the labor to the Far East, we thought we could flip the model on its head and if we make the process cheaper by using a non-woven process, we could afford again to use local, local production and um, local fibers, um, like wool, valuable fibers that you'd otherwise not necessarily use. Okay, and then how did you come up with the name cloud wool then? So, like, uh, Yolanda and I actually love naming things. It's just like, one of our quirks and one of the things that kind of bind us together is humor. And um, so we already had Doppelhaus, which is a name that we love. But uh, Cloud World went, th went through many uh, different incarnations as the concept for a name. So I think uh, one was Hydrovola. So, again, kind of bringing in that German uh, kind of name. Um, Or uh, Tangle Text. Tangle Text. <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> so, we realized... You know, I guess we realized, um, well, we wanted, we wanted to say, to show that it's wool. It took us quite a long time to realize we definitely need a product name. <laughs> and then the importance became clear. And, um, yeah, we wanted to make clear that it is totally wool. Um, but it's implied that there's a technolo technological aspect to it. Um, and we thought with the cloud and sort of um, modern technology and the fact that it's lighter than conventional felt. So it's not as, it's not stiff. It's not as dense. So in a sense, it's maybe light like a cloud or water vapor, you know, <laughs> these kind of um, images. Yeah. Yeah, it has kind of two sides. No, the cloud, as you said, from a digital perspective, but also cloud as being woolly, fluffy, a yes. cloud in the sky. Yes, precisely, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, yeah, I, I can see now that there's a theme of you liking to name things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now... Obviously, not everyone has been trained as a textile engineer. As you said earlier, that this is often the perspective people come to to a non-woven fabric. Um, can you tell, explain us a little bit more what exactly is a non-woven fabric and how can it be made? Yeah, sure. Well, it's um, non-woven fabrics are um, as opposed to knitted or woven fabrics. They are not made from yarns, they're made purely from fibers, which are bonded in a variety of different ways. So typical ones you would know of would be um, needle felting, where sort of needles punch through um, a wool fabric or any, actually it needn't be wool at all. <laughs> That's the, the thing is, is that wool felt is maybe the original non-woven fabric because um, you can make it by hand as, um, as the fibers felt naturally together. But non-woven 
um, processes have generally been developed in order to felt synthetic fibers that wouldn't felt on their own because they're too smooth or um, exactly. And most non-wovens nowadays are made of synthetic fabrics because you're, they're easier to bond using heat or other methods. Okay, so what everyone does unwillingly with their washing machine yeah. and their <laughs> sweater, that would be so like. I mean, that's true. Cooking, I mean, that could would be one way of creating a non-woven or? Yeah, yes. that's the interesting thing that um, some of our development really involves thinking about domestic processes and how they influence um, fibers and materials. And yeah, as you say, like, if, you put a, if you put a jumper through a hot wash, you might get a kind of felting effect. So that actually gives some insight into maybe our process, uh, thinking about how you can do that on a, a larger industrial scale. Um, so yeah, there's there's three different types of non-woven processes. Um, there's um, uh, mechanical, chemical, and um, uh, heat. Maybe. Heat, yeah. <laughs> um, and we've tried all three. And what what our kind of process is in terms of creating non-woven fabrics is kind of uh, deducing uh, deducing what the uh, input and output would be, and then also what the impacts of those um, processes would be. Or not, uh, not only on the output, but also the environmental impact. Mm -hmm. uh, so, for example, um, so cloud wool kind of represents uh, a range of uh, cloud wool represents the bonding process that we've chosen to use, and and the reason we use that is because it kind of gives us that flexibility and it, it has a good structure and strength. Um, however, uh, in a parallel universe, if we'd used maybe chemical processes, for example, uh, we might get kind of different outcomes. And um, th there's there's kind of a variety of outputs that you can get even aesthetically. And I think that's something that we've realized, kind of depending on the different pr uh, process or the different machines that we are using. And that's something that we'd like to explore in the future. Um, so, so for us, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of trial and error. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a lot of uh, re researching into the uh, what the what the machines do for industry currently so I think a, a lot of the machines that we use create things like wet wipes and coffee filters and things like that but we, we, we often really inspect those those materials or we have done in the past to see how that could influence our own uh, fabrics as well to get so, inspiration so could, yeah, yeah to get inspiration and think could could we for example get an embossing effect or could we uh, could we bond the fabrics using a chemical process but also get a kind of Uh, finish you mm -hmm. know so, so things like that yeah um, but um, actually making non-woven fabric is quite a simple straightforward processes process as Yolanda mentioned before it's it simply just it simply means it doesn't involve knitting or weaving it goes from fiber to fabric so um, there's lots of kind of machines and, and variables that you can kind of adjust the machines with but essentially it's quite a simple process mm -hmm. so and there's, there's Yeah. No, I was just going to say there's there's many options, you know, but uh, in, in in general the construction process is um, for non-woven textiles is much more compressed or has many fewer stages than um, knitting or weaving because you're not having to spin a yarn, for instance, yeah. and do all the other pre-processes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what I have often in my head when I think of like non-woven wool is that it's actually quite thick, but yeah. It, if I understand you correctly, you're, because you talk of fabrics, you think more of a lighter, thinner uh, material. So how should I, or how should our listeners imagine what cloud wool would look like? Well, that's yeah. right. That, that's right, Elizabeth. I would say um, 
in a sense, we're trying to create non-wovens that are more like conventional fabrics um, and getting away from the sort of stiff, papery qualities of, of typical non-wovens. Yeah. So I think it would be best for your listeners to imagine something like loden or boiled wool, um, because that's something that we're trying to come close to. Mm. Yeah, and if, if you mentioned earlier, wet wipes are actually quite thin, so if that's a part of your inspiration, then, then that's... <laughs> well, I think it's just that typical, typically yeah. not woven tend to be thin because they're a mass market product and yeah. they're disposable. So they, they, they're quite efficient in terms of materials. Um, we can make things quite thick, but um, it's quite nice that we can make thinner materials um, because it means that we can actually create something lighter and it means that we can often save uh, materials um, or we can create um, materials that would be suitable for not just autumn, winter, but spring, summer in terms of fashion fabrics. Excellent. And what would be the benefits of cloud wool and, or how would it also be different to what people might know more like a felted wool or a woven or knitted wool fabric? So the main benefit, um, because we're, we're B2B really, is, is that it's a cheaper wool fabric than um, conventional wool fabrics or we, you know, potentially it could be a lot cheaper. Um, and The, um, the benefits are that then it's also highly sustainable because we're using um, local wool, which is actually barely used in clothing anymore, um, mainly only in carpets, and also trying to produce locally as possible, either in Germany or potentially in Britain, um, if, the, if the facility is there. And um, it differs to maybe conventional, um, conventional felt because it is lighter and less dense, and compared to Uh, woven or knitted wool fabrics it's definitely more like a woven wool fabric because um, it's unlikely that a non-woven could ever be quite as flexible as a knitted fabric due to its just uh, construction but um, it's yeah like Martin said similar maybe to loden or boiled wool which are first woven and then felted um, but in our case you have this similar felted surface but the um, the entire construction is felted and not um, not woven beforehand and do you have similar or the same properties like breathability um... yes definitely i think even perhaps more breathability because non-wovens are slightly more porous than woven fabrics um so it's more possible for air to um kind of be trapped within them <laughs> or, or get through uh, move through them easily Okay, yeah, and you mentioned earlier uh, several times now that you are working with British wool and you already mentioned a few points about price um, and that it's yeah, not really used for, um, for fashion items anymore. So maybe tell us a little bit more about your, the choice you made to use British wool and, and for your product. Well, the thing is, we, we, we are British. I think that that's something that we... So we identify with uh, the nature of the country. And on closer inspection, we realize there's, there's a bit of an urban gap between uh, the way people perceive their clothes and the way people maybe perceive nature or industry and agriculture. So on visiting some of these wool farmers, they really actually believe in, in the industry around wool and they have, they have a memory of the British wool industry and how it used to be. So I think in a way it's maybe been in our psyche um, 
before we actually learn to utilize it a bit more. But as we've researched more and more into British work, it kind of seems to uh, keep uh, giving us more opportunity. For example, British wool is uh, is sold through a unifying body called the British Wool Board, which means it's all sorted and they aim to give farmers a fair price for their wool. And it, so, so Britain has a much better infrastructure for wool than uh, most European countries and most countries in the world. Um, so it, it kind of seemed like a great choice in a way. It's very accessible. I mean, the fact that we aren't using wool for more convent British wool for the more conventional uses such as carpets doesn't hinder the fact that we can still have access to it and doesn't hinder the, the fact that um, companies are happy to engage with us the companies that are selling wool uh, and they're, they're, they're interested so so I, I certainly have got a sense from visiting a lot of the um, wool wool uh, 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 the very the important wool organizations like the scouring companies and the British wool board that they really want innovative companies utilizing this product farmers really want people using British wool um, so I think that really actually influences us and motivates us to carry on um, it, 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 and then uh, and then there's kind of the other side of the coin which is our motivation for not using Australian and, uh, and uh, New, Ze- New Zealand wool um, which has a very good reputation but um, it doesn't have it doesn't really relate to our core values because we really believe in regionalism uh, that we believe in the sustainable be- benefits of regionalism and um, we also believe that it's important to shed light on the fact that there are British wool varieties that are um, equal well equal maybe in terms of quality um, for example there's a sheep called the um, blue face Leicester which has a really really nice quality there's a there's a sheep called the Bowman sheep um, which has a, it has the softness of merino wool, but it's British. Um, so, and also, I mean, there's companies that are interested in promoting uh, British materials, and of course, the fact that we're we're separating from the European Union means that it's important to think in terms of um, reinvigorating British manufacturing. So, so there's definitely a call for people to utilise the materials that we do have, so that we can build our economy so you have connected um, to different members of the British wool industry is what I hear yes mm-hmm. yeah Excellent. yes we've been to visit quite a few different um, yeah institutions like the British wool marketing board and um, as Martin said the, the scouring and finishing industries in the north of England mm-hmm. and they, they actually have really high ecological standards the um, scouring facility they, they manage to recycle 95% of their water And uh, because they, they actually, they most of the wool that they process is merino or New Zealand wool, merino wool uh, predominantly. But um, they actually have much higher ecological standards in terms of water consumption and energy than most other facilities in the world. So again, that just really helps us with our with our supply chain. Just the fact that they just do have these great standards. And have you been to visit Leslie Pryor on her farm? No? Ah, I see, from Bowman. Yeah, uh, from no, Bowman. I haven't, I haven't ah, okay. visited her. Uh, but I think the reason that we're also not thinking of using Merino is just because of the scalability. Um, we, the sheep that we use at the moment, that is, it's, it's not a specific sheep because um, although there are many breeds of sheep in the UK, the way that the British Wool Marketing Board work is that they, they actually uh, categorise their sheep in terms of... Um, uh, 
characters such as uh, how fine or coarse or micron range. So I think it's just important for us to kind of think in terms of in terms of scaling up of the product, just uh, kind of interacting with the wool that is available through the British Wool Marketing Board. And yeah, that would be my next question. So British wool is often seen as very coarse or then as itchy. Um, but how would that be for your fabrics? Would they be itchy or are you using a certain micron type? So we are just using um, maybe the, the sort of the finer blend of British wool, um, but it is still uh, so-called coarse wool <laughs> in terms of it, it's still in, in the sort of late late 20s, early 30s micron range. Um, and we, we personally believe that the, the itchiness is, is a bit of a perception marketing image problem <laughs> that wool has, hmm. but not, not an actual sort of um, necessary problem because it, For instance, um, our fabrics wouldn't necessarily be worn directly next to the skin. We're not intending them to be necessarily base layers, but they could definitely be outerwear or combined with another fabric um, in order to, to get around that. Um, and I've, when we've made, for instance, um, a sample jacket recently, um, all the people who've tried it on, none of them have said anything about um, itchiness, even when it's been rubbing near their neck or... Um, um, I've worn, for instance, a, a scarf made of cloud wool for a day just, just just to try it out, and I didn't find it at all that it's um, that it's itchy. I found that um, I think one of the great things about wool is that it is animal hair, and um, whilst that might bother some people, for instance, um, vegan people, um, as a as a sort of lifestyle choice, it's it is very close to our sort of human hair in terms of structure so it's something we're used to having on our skin all the time and it has all the same properties as hair so um i think it's something that's that yeah that can complement um uh yeah it's not necessarily a problem but it's coarse. yeah might might i add um some of the uh so the current batch of cloud wool that we, that we recently exhibited at the london textile fair um It, it also goes through a finishing process in the UK. Uh, I was when I was visiting the finishing process, or not, I was initially um, having meetings with them. They showed me other British wool fabrics that were very fine, very luxurious, um, because they'd been finished um, and uh, going through hot processes, and they get go, go through steaming processes and things like that. And that actually give makes them appear very refined. And I would challenge anybody to call some of these fabrics itchy or coarse. So going back to Yolanda's point, I believe it is very much a marketing uh, ploy. In a way, it's saying, I think I think it's this idea that because merino wool is supposedly so exquisite, all other types are therefore not. Because um, <laughs> uh, rats really play up merino. Therefore, kind of, you deduce that, you know, any other kind of wool is itchy or coarse. That's... In fact, um, a lot of wool, uh, a, a problem, it's, it's a problem that is kind of highlighted on a lot of the websites, like in the Walmart board, you know, they say Merino is, uh, for example, hydrophobic, breathable, UV resistant, but it's all wool is that, <laughs> exactly. whether it's coarse or not. Uh, so, so they're actually using the, um, the benefits of wool for their own Merino. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, when it comes to itchiness, there are also some 
standardized tests, etc. But it's also, as you say, sometimes a very um, subjective form. Like some things don't itch me, but they do itch my husband. So it, it yeah. yeah, it's a, it's yeah, a very it complex on. topic. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you now mentioned already a little bit how your fabrics could be uh, used. So tell us a little bit more. How would designers um, use your cloud wool in their designs? What have you experienced with so far? So we um, we first um, developed a range essentially as, as part of my final bachelor uh, graduate project. And we exhibited it at the London Textile Fair last last July, a year ago now, and um, there we showed different weights and different possibilities um, for how it could be used, um, some of which kind of combine a central layer of, um, of net or jute hessian or something um, in order to give it extra strength and different properties, um, and those tended to be the most popular um, samples that we had at that stage, and therefore we decided to develop them and do a first production run uh, earlier this year. And this, this time around, we just exhibited again and we showed essentially um, uh, a color range of our first, fa our first kind of um, large scale produced fabric, <laughs> which is the, um, the Hessian bonded cloud wool. And we, we think that, yeah, generally it could be um, good in outerwear, but also perhaps in interiors, uh, not necessarily just in fashion. Also, um, perhaps for sort of acoustic um, panelling or curtains, um, interior furnishings. And um, in terms of fashion, definitely also there's a lot of possibilities for bonding um, a thin layer of cloud wool with another fabric, um, which could um, also doing different types of, um, creating different types of structures um, because the, um, the way that we create cloud wool is quite versatile, where we can create multiple layers and... Um, do things that you couldn't do with another non-woven process. And so um, we think we would like to work a lot together with designers from, from fashion and interiors to see where they see it being used because um, that's perhaps more their strength looking for the product application. Um, and, and we're a bit more involved with, with the textile development. Indeed. And um, some of the uh, designers that we've worked with um, have really taken to the fabric um, some of the, uh, some of the desi some designers really have found our fabric, and um, they're really happy with how it's very novel. And they're also they're so in line with our core principles that they want to take it forward and experiment. So we've had um, lots of interest from high end fashion brands, which is really nice. But we've we're also working with a collective of designers currently for uh, we'll be doing two shows this year, and the idea of that is that we. It's important for us to also invest in the uh, fashion companies that want to work with our material so that we can really show proof of concept. So brands like uh, Eliza Collins, Isabel Fletcher, Sosta Studio, who just had an um, article written about them in, in Vogue Italia and Dance, Dance Magazine. And um, they're really only engaging with sustainable materials, all of these designers. And they're, they're a new generation, a new wave of uh, designers and, uh, uh, you know, This is the same in the interiors industry. There's a new rate, rate a new, uh, yeah, a new uh, influx of um, sustainably minded designers, and, and we really don't see that that's a trend. That that's some, that's something that's here to stay because it's it's very necessary. I mean, we haven't really touched on sustainability, but um, 
I think designers are now really recognizing it. So we, we're really trying to align with those designers, really help them out. Um, and it, it kind of means that we have to push our image, even though we're B2B, we have to kind of be able to appeal to customers, even if it just means that the businesses that buy our textiles can take from us um, information about uh, the impacts of our wool or information about our supply chain. It's really important that we're generating and researching that. Traditionally, mills haven't really had to do that um, if they're creating polyester fabrics in God knows where. It's self-explanatory and brands aren't keen <laughs> and customers don't expect a whole story. But I think there is a new kind of customer and a new kind of designer that really expects the textile mills that they're buying from to really be able to trace their products. So, so in collaborating, we can help to form, we can, it helps us to form these stories, but uh, it also helps them to appeal to their customers. I would also say that um, the large fashion brands, they've until now been really motivated by cost, um, especially the, the cheaper end of the market. And I think they're facing increasing pressure. I mean, we could we could all think of probably like high street giants like um, H&M and, and Primark and so on, who always get a lot of media stories about um, um, sustainability or, or lack of, <laughs> because they just produce on such a large scale. And, um, and we're sort of, on the one hand, there haven't been enough sustainable materials available, especially at, at the right price. And we're hoping that we can eventually meet them on the right at the right price um, in order to to be able to sort of um, uh, yeah fill that need um, because until now really there's been a very niche supply of of um, sustainable or organic materials um, and at very high prices and only really um, they've only been available to to smaller scale designers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. While mass market companies like the idea of wool because it's robust and ecological, um, they often, you know, um, you know, it's still very expensive for them um, because it can't always be produced cheaply. So, um, yeah, we really want to be able to meet their, their, sta- uh, their pro- uh, uh, economic standards and, and still be able to maintain our ecological and environmental standards. Okay, well, excellent. That yeah, that was a, a lot of uh, topics there in in one question. Um, one other question I have: like, where would where, where are you, or where will you be manufacturing your cloud wool? So far, we've been manufacturing it in Germany, um, in Saxony, in um, both on a small scale in Chemnitz at a research at a research institute called the STFI, who have been very helpful with our developments. Um, and the um, at a larger uh, scale factory below Chemnitz in a place called Mildenau near the Czech border, but also in Germany. And we're looking at potentially um, manufacturing in Britain if it's possible in the future, um, because ideally we'd like to have a, as local a supply chain as possible um, and potentially helping to rebuild the German, for instance, using German wool in Germany and using British wool in Britain. But currently... Um, We hadn't until now, um, well, it's not been possible to use um, German wool on a large scale because the infrastructure to supply it doesn't really exist. And on the other hand, the manufacturing infrastructure hasn't really existed in Britain to process it in our, using our non-woven process. Yeah, and that brings us actually 
to my next questions of what kind of challenges like were you facing or are you facing with the development of Cloudwood? So manufacturing is one, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> what other challenges have you faced so far? So I, I could answer this. I think um, it's definitely been uh, something I've been reflecting on a lot at the moment because I'm, I'm finishing a, a master's actually where I've been trying to continue developing Cloudwall. And definitely one of the main um, things was um, initially um, um, we've been developing it in sort of within the framework of my studies, uh, which has been very useful because um, we've managed to get sort of cooperation from some research institutes uh, due to my kind of student status, um, which we wouldn't have been able to do if we just said we are a company, we want to do this. However, um, it's also difficult being small going forward um, and we're trying to change in a way um, or take a new approach to the non-wovens uh, industry and create products that they couldn't really have imagined <laughs> as they, like Martin said, are used to creating uh, filters and wet wipes and so on on a huge scale and really just creating one product continuously. Um, and the company we're working with at the moment to manufacture, they are, have a little bit of a niche creating different types of non-wovens. Um, so they do kind of more like batch production. But still, it's um, it's definitely difficult uh, work have, trying to sort of shape and help help shape their attitude and, and help them realise that there could be a lot of potential to make um, sustainable and natural um, non-wovens that are more... Um, more interesting for other markets like fashion and interiors, um, markets that they've not been used used to at all. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And what was so far the biggest learning you had from your experiencing experience with the development of Cloudwood? Oh, um, I well, um, <laughs> oh wow, there's been so many. I know, so I know. So many. Um, I think for me the biggest learning curve is you, you can only expect um, some things to go right. So despite meticulous planning, not everything is going to work. And it's interesting because in something like, with something like manufacturing, uh, it's, a, it's very technical, but there, there's, always, there's always the possibility that things will go wrong and things have gone wrong. Um, but then, you know, The other learning curve is to try and make a positive from a negative and keep going. Um, and again, necessity obviously is the mother of invention. And sometimes with things that don't work so well, you can find solutions to problems. Um, so we, we, for example, um, uh, ended up approaching many finishing companies um, post our last batch production of Cloudwall in order to refine the uh, feel. And that's actually opened up a whole uh, range of opportunities um, creatively. And now often we think in terms of um, how we could affect our fabric uh, prior to our bonding process and how we could affect it afterwards. Uh, and in the future, going forward, we'll probably end up developing ranges that kind of um, uh, will be influenced between those things. So, um, but yeah, things cannot always go right. <laughs> Okay, so. I would say also um, that there's, a, there's some statistic that says that um, well, I think something like only one in five startups succeed, 
but most of them fail because the founders give up. <laughs> so I think that's also, um, like Martin said, a big a big factor of, of sort of not being too disheartened um, if things don't go to plan and just keeping at it, keep going. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and I think it's it's been really important for us to 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 value the community that we're in. Um, Yolanda and I have both been very fortunate because, for example, Yolanda in Germany has um, made very very good connections with people in the non-wovens industry and they're very genuine connections and similarly I've managed to make really good connections in, with the wool industry in the UK people that want to show us around their facilities and they want to engage with us and and because of that you know they help us so having this um network of it, it's a very it's genuine you know we can stay genuinely lean and we're interested in it so even if things don't always go to plan we're we're constantly encouraged by a, by a community that we're in um yeah, I'd so, say we're so a bit motivations of a... are important. You know, we're not we're not necessarily entirely motivated by money, but we are motivated by wanting to develop an interesting product because we're we're kind of curious people. Yeah, I would say we're a bit of a novelty to them when we come and we're sort of young and enthusiastic and um, designers and a bit of a sort of exotic breed for either <laughs> the engineers or for the um, traditional wool types. You know, it's <laughs> I think it's quite unusual for them to. Um, yeah, speak to us. Yeah, that's for sure. No, and yeah, I think that's how innovative products develop by by a network of brains with different experiences, and that's what you're utilizing to. I would to. say that another challenge would be. Oh, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Sorry. Um, no, yeah, I'd say another challenge is um, getting brutal feedback. Um, not brutal in the sense that it's harsh. It's always constructive, but you'll always get feedback and. And learning to take that in is really important. So, as you said, like we have, it's really important to have a network of brains, but it's really important to actually listen to what they're saying. So there have been times where I found it very difficult to listen to what people are saying, and I've really learnt to um, where not not take not take everything very personally. Um, and and because of that, you know, we we've refined how we display our products, or we've refined um, how we describe our products and things like that. So it's really really been a challenge to, uh, but a, a valuable challenge to take feedback and criticism mm, yeah that's for sure but yeah that's how you grow i guess and <laughs> but speaking of growing so how do you plan to expand your business and finding new customers for your product so i would say i think we're definitely um we're still fairly near the in the beginning kind of stages i mean we're um because until now, like Martin said, we've been keeping things very lean and um, I, I was still continuing to study, for instance, to, to do further research and development as cheaply as possible. <laughs> and um, we've been definitely doing some some um, market research in terms of getting out there, going to different trade fairs. We went to Salone in Milan earlier this year to see if there could be interest from interiors. Um, and we definitely thought... Um, there could be, but I think we need to, we've realized we definitely need to have more proof of concept, sort of more um, more samples of finished products that use Cloudwall. And I think we definitely see Cloudwall as a, as a kind of high value component. So something that could be a material that can be integrated into a product, not necessarily a product in itself, um, though it definitely could be. Um, but in many ways, um, it could be um, an element of a, of a product um, that adds all the benefits of wool for cheaper 
um, I think we're just, yeah, at the moment we're going to try and both move into doing this full time uh, by the end of the year and um, continue building our network and looking for potential investment or um, funding projects um, in order to keep going with it and move forward and grow. Um, yeah, but we're still a team of just two and it's, um, it's just us so far. Uh, we've taken part in some startup programs which have helped us um, move forward tremendously, even though um, it's been kind of baby steps still. Um, and we, so for instance, there was Design Farm Berlin, which was a program based at my university for um, for uh, graduates projects which have potential to become businesses. And that was very useful in terms of allowing me to um, spend quite a few months last year just working on this full time um, before starting the masters. And then uh, Martin's been taking part in a program from his former university called um, Center for Fashion Enterprise Fash Tech Pioneer. And they've been very helpful with mentoring and different workshops. And we also took part in um, a new program based in Barcelona called Fashioneers, which was very useful in terms of um, giving us sort of um, distance learning webinars um, to lots of different skills, introducing us to topics in more depth like branding and um, making us aware of a lot of um, things, areas we do need to work on and concentrate on as soon as possible. And yes. And where do you see your business in like five years from now? So um, we have uh, in five years from now, it, we'd like to have um, already expanded into lots of different industries. Um, we'd like to be working with lots of designers and um, making sure that we uh, retain our transparency by looking into things like certifications. Um, we are on a journey to uh, pay, we have uh, patents pending and things like that. So uh, obviously we'd like to be more secure in terms of intellectual property. Um, we, I think it's in, important for us to be, uh, as Doppelhaus, to be um, a force in the textile industry, uh, whether it's speaking at certain events or going to things like Copenhagen Fashion Summit or um, attending panels. Um, that's really important in terms of being up to date with uh, competitor research or the latest in sustainable textile research. Um, I think it's also important for us to have a creative license of what we do. Uh, Yolanda and I are both from an artistic and design background, so we both really enjoy working with our materials into, uh, on a domestic level. So it would be great to have a studio and be able to really refine our methodology for creating materials in a way that really suits us. And I would say, but also working with industry. I mean, we've even we've been approached um, a few times already to, to potentially develop materials for other people. And that's something we can see ourselves doing long term because we want to work as designers as, as much as possible, as well as entrepreneurs. And I think we could potentially see Cloudwell being a separate business. Um, and hopefully in five years time, it will be more of an established product. Um, I think we were thinking something along the lines of something like Gore-Tex, that it, it could be um, people could say, oh, it has Cloudwell inside um, as, a, as, an, as a component, for instance, and uh, becoming a kind of recognized product name and ingredient um, branding mm -hmm. exactly mm. but then we can see ourselves working on new projects developing other innovative non-woven materials um yeah and creative projects really going forward long term well that looks like a very exciting future for where can our listeners find out more about your company and about the product where should they go so um, if you you can find us on Instagram, we're at Doppelhaus Limited. Uh, we're also on Twitter as the same. 
And our website is uh, www.doppelhouse.co.uk. And there's information there. Excellent. Yeah, and I'll make sure to connect to all the sites that you just mentioned on the show notes. So then it's very easy to find you. Thank well, you. thank you so much, Yolanda and Martin. Thank and you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank it you. was really interesting to, to hear <laughs> all about it. And I wish you all the best for the future. Thank oh, you thank so, you very so much. much. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Yolanda Liesk and Martin Brembley from Doppelhaus. If you want to find out more about Doppelhaus and the two young entrepreneurs, then head on over to the show notes at elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 095. Once again, elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 095. Thank you for listening today. Talk to you again next week and bye for now.